0: Do you overcomplicate your life? How can we keep it simple? Welcome to episode 181 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Lucy, Michelle, and Maria. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Lucy, Michelle, and Maria, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. I'm going to start with a couple of readings Because for me, they illustrate sort of different aspects of this idea of keeping it simple. First one is from our Courage to Change daily reader from February 9th. There was nothing simple about my life before I came to Al-Anon. My work was highly stressful. My time was always short and my attention was intensely focused on the alcoholic, but I didn't realize I was under a strain. During the early days in Al-Anon, I shifted my intense focus to the program. As my denial broke, I became aware that I was exhausted all the time. The topic at an Al-Anon meeting, Keep It Simple, was just what I needed to hear. I decided that the top priority for my unmanageable life was to recover from the effects of alcoholism. I had responsibilities and couldn't eliminate all the stress from my life, but I tried to simplify it wherever possible. In my case, this meant letting go of some social activities, temporarily switching to a lower-paying but less stressful job, and leaving some household chores undone. It wasn't a permanent change, just a way to give myself the time I needed for my emotional and spiritual health. It was such a relief. By the time I returned to my normal schedule, I had a better grasp on keeping it simple, so I was able to handle it more serenely. The second reading is a meditation titled Set in Stone by uh, Victoria Safford, and it's from a book of meditations titled Walking Toward Morning. And we'll put a link to that book in the show notes at one eight one. In a cemetery once, An old one in New England, I found a strangely soothing epitaph. The name of the deceased and her dates had been scoured away by wind and rain, but there was a carving of a tree with roots and branches, and among them the words, She attended well and faithfully to a few worthy things. At first, this seemed to me a little meager, a little stingy on the part of her survivors, but I wrote it down and have thought about it since, and now I can't imagine a more proud or satisfying legacy. She attended well and faithfully to a few worthy things. Every day, I stand in danger of being struck by lightning and having the obituary in the local paper say for all the world to see. She attended frantically and ineffectually to a great many unimportant meaningless details. How do you want your obituary to read? He got all the dishes washed and dried before playing with his children in the evening. She balanced her checkbook with meticulous precision and never missed a day of work, missed a lot of sunsets, missed a lot of love, missed a lot of risk, missed a lot, but her money was in order. She answered all her calls, all her email, all her voicemail, but along the way she forgot to answer the call to service and compassion and forgiveness first and foremost of herself. He gave and forgave sparingly, without radical intention, without passion or conviction. She could not, or would not, hear the calling of her heart. How will it read? How does it read? And if you had to name a few worthy things to which you attend well and faithfully, what, I wonder, would they be? I liked both of those readings. The first one really speaks to me of the way that I I used to live my life and the way that to some, I I still sometimes do, that I get all caught up with, with all the many things that I think are absolutely critical and my life gets kind of unmanageable. When I'm able to stop, take stock and think about what's really important and what is merely superficially important or urgent. I actually get more done, maybe on fewer things, but more done, by by keeping it simple. And the second reading kind of amplifies on that notion that my life is really defined, maybe not quite the right word, by the few worthy things that I attend well and faithfully to come back to the the jar and the rocks. You know, those few worthy things are the big rocks. And if I attend well and faithfully to them, then I actually still have room for the smaller the smaller rocks and the sand to fit in around them. And I know I talked about that a few weeks ago and I can't remember what the topic was, but it, it does it's just such a good visual for me. So there's a chapter in the book How Al Anon works about I think there are twelve slogans. Approximately 12, anyway. 12 is a magic number in the program, isn't it? And one of them is Keep It Simple. And so I thought maybe I'd take a look at that section of the book and see if we can use it to, to prompt some thoughts about keeping it simple. So it starts when coping with the baffling and often overwhelming effects of alcoholism. The simpler and more straightforward the approach, the better. The slogan, Keep It Simple, makes just that point. When life seems unmanageable or confusing, many of us unknowingly complicate matters even further by trying to anticipate everything that could go wrong so that we will be prepared to respond. And I have to say, I spent way too much time doing that, thinking about, worrying about, anticipating all the things that could possibly go wrong as a result of the drinking in my family. And usually, Often, this this thinking, this worrying down rabbit holes happened late at night when I was actually trying to get to sleep and my mind was just going a million miles a minute, trying trying to figure out some way to control this thing that was essentially uncontrollable, although I didn't know that yet. These same thoughts would come back during the day, maybe when I was working and trying to focus on What I was doing there, I would instead start running down those rabbit holes again about not having enough money, about getting in an accident because driving and drinking, about leaving the stove on and burning down the house, about just whatever, all those things that could happen, and at the same time trying, 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 trying to come up with yet another scheme, yet another way, yet another right thing to say to convince my wife that she needed to stop, that she needed to come back to to normality rather than this drinking, drinking, drinking. So by trying to anticipate, by trying to, quote, plan, unquote, I distracted myself from the things that were important at the moment and did not produce anything of worth, did not produce any movement in a positive direction. I was just running in place, Back to the book. This slogan reminds us that we can't control every possible outcome to every situation and that trying to do so makes our lives more difficult and more stressful than they already are. And I don't know about you, but I have spent hours, days probably, weeks of my life if I added it all up, trying to control the outcome of every situation around me. Whether it was a family situation whether it was something at work. It, it, I needed it. I needed it to all come out my way. I'm reminded of the reading of the first step in the book, How Al-Anon Works. I think this is about somewhere on page 46 where it says something like, those of us who learn to control in order to survive in an alcoholic situation now continue to try to control everything and everybody around us. And that certainly was me. And if people around me weren't behaving the way I thought they should be behaving. They weren't following my plan. They weren't doing it the right way. I would get very aggressive and assertive and loud about it. And that caused problems, as you might imagine. It caused problems at home. It caused problems at work. It is not the way to treat coworkers. It does not make for a pleasant work environment, and it does not make for a good relationship with your boss. But somehow I couldn't help myself. Things had to be my way. There had to be some part of my life I could control. And I didn't realize that if I kept it simple and focused on the things that were actually mine, that my life would be easier. And then actually, if I let go and trusted other people to do their jobs in the way that was meaningful to them, that everything would flow more smoothly the book. When we keep it simple, we try to take things at face value, looking at what is actually happening, rather than the 50 things it might or might not follow. We have a slogan, I think it's a slogan, Awareness, Acceptance, Action. It's We call it the three A's around here. What that means is that first, I need to become aware of what the situation is, looking at what is actually happening. Then, I need to accept this is what is. I need to understand what is my part and what is not my part, and that's all part of acceptance. You know, I may see a problem that somebody else has, and, and I want to jump in and fix it for them, but in fact, that problem has nothing to do with me, and my solution may not be appropriate for the person who's actually there. So looking at what is actually happening and, and asking myself, what is my part in this situation? And then, and then, and only then can I take action because that action is rooted in an understanding of what is and an understanding of, of which part of it is, is actually mine to do anything with. What actions I can take that will, that will be relevant and meaningful and will address the part of it that's mine, and if no part of it is mine, then there is no action to take. So rather than jumping directly from not even awareness of something, but just sort of seeing it, if you if you get the difference there, jumping from there straight to all the possible different ways that this thing could be fixed, all the possible different ways that we could get out of this jam, all the possible different ways that this other person could do what I think they need to do. Wow, I can keep myself really, really busy doing that. It's not simple, and it's not effective. From the book, perhaps we can approach large projects and challenges slowly, step by step in manageable stages rather than all at once. This is this is something I'm still learning to do. You know, I've been working for I'd say 40 years in the same field. One of the, the lessons has been really Difficult for me to learn and apply is that I, when faced with a with a problem, when faced with a task, that I don't need to understand exactly how it's going to be completed in total before I start, and that in fact, if I start by taking the the evident first steps, the subsequent steps. And the shape of the of the whole solution will become clearer. Approach large challenges, projects, and challenges slowly, step by step, in manageable stages rather than all at once. And about well, or about a month ago, I started with other people. Obviously, I started on a new project at work, and we've been given a year to accomplish this this project and there's a lot in it which okay if there's what four or five of us working on it for a year that's that's pretty big not huge but pretty big and some of the other people including some management people who are who are not directly in the group want us to have all the details planned out now they want to know now and i i know that i can't do that we have reasonably detailed outline of a plan. And we'll be filling it in as we go, doing the first things first, discovering what the hard questions are that need to be answered and answering them as early as possible. And we'll be showing progress. And the way in which we work now makes it a lot easier to see progress when it's happening. Uh, But it's also hard to see progress of planning. And so we're getting a little bit of anxiety in, in management right now about not, not they're, they, not understanding whether we have have it, you know, under control as it were. But it's the only way I can work is is to take some steps and to start to see with more clarity the the path ahead, and to be able to then outline in more detail and more detail until we get to steps we can actually execute when we get to them. Sort of like, I guess I have this picture in my head of of walking on a path. On a foggy day, and I know maybe there's a, a a lighthouse or something, and I could barely see through the fog, and I know that's where I want to end up. But if I decided I'm just going to go straight for that without being able to see the whole path, I might find myself stumbling over rocks or you know falling over a cliff or something. But if I take a few steps, then the path in front of me gets clearer and I and I know which direction to go next. So by keeping it simple and focusing on the things that I can know, the things that I can do, I will get to my destination. And I'll actually get to my destination more easily than if I tried to know and plan the whole journey up front. And not knowing like what detours I might have to take along the way because I I can't see them. Think about driving driving long distance. Sometimes you come to a place where... You know, there's been an accident or there's construction and you have to detour around it. And if your plan said, no, you have to stay on this road and you can't get off of it, um, not so good. So keeping it simple and, and staying in the moment, much help, much more helpful there. The book, sometimes we must act with haste, but not every new task or unexpected event is a crisis. Wow. Not every new task or unexpected event is a crisis. I used to live in crisis. Everything was a crisis. Everything had to be dealt with right now. And learning to take this unexpected event, this new task, and say, yes, I see this, and I can do it tomorrow. I can do it next week. I'm not going to put it off forever. Or maybe I can look at it and say, actually, no, this doesn't need to be done. Or somebody else can do it. When I'm in crisis mode, I drop whatever I'm working on and pick up this new thing and and deal with it, and then hopefully I can go back to the thing I was working on and continue with it. But sometimes these crises, quote, crises, unquote, keep coming, and I never actually get done the thing that I was supposed to get done, because I was too busy dealing with these things that looked like crises and, and, and actually weren't. The book, our initial fearful responses may arise more from habit rather than necessity. Habit habit. Yeah, that's an interesting word. Learned response. Learned behavior. Um, reflex. I think reflex. Yeah. So I think about getting a phone call from one of my kids at an unexpected time. And this this, this happened a few, couple of months ago, I guess it was. And, and it happens, but this is one example. So the phone, my phone buzzes. I'm in a meeting. I can't answer it. It's for my daughter. In the middle of the day, I'm like, and and my reflex habit response is fear. She wouldn't be calling if something bad hadn't happened. So something, obviously, something bad has happened. And I need to start worrying about what happened. Oh my God, did her car break down? Was she in an accident? Is she in the hospital? Ah! Okay, that's my habit, my fearful response habit. So after the meeting checked my voicemail and it was in fact something good had happened and she just wanted to tell me about it okay and that habit that learned response that fear was about nothing you know i wasn't keeping it simple i wasn't trusting in the universe i wasn't trusting that whatever it was i would be okay and that i could wait and see what the truth was before responding the book in time, we learned that if we are feeling paralyzed and overwhelmed, we may be complicating matters, or taking on more than we can handle for this moment or this day, and that we may have better luck by simplifying what we are trying to accomplish. Complicating matters, oh yeah. I think I've been talking about that this whole time, haven't I? Taking on more than we can handle for this moment or this day. And that, to me, that comes back to this reflex reaction, got to deal with it right now this is a problem, got to deal with it right now. And sometimes I can't deal with it right now because I've got other things that I'm dealing with and I can learn to put it on the list, prioritize it against all the other things that I have to do. Because when something new comes in, it always seems important because it's new. But if I can actually set it against the other things that I need to do, the other things that I want to do, then I can see Mm. its true importance and recognize that I don't need to deal with it right away. Maybe I just have given myself too many things to do. I remember talking with a friend about Mm. making a list on Saturday of of all the things that need to get done and, and somehow expecting that they will all get done. And... Now I recognize that I can do a certain number of things and you know for example yesterday there were some things that I wanted to do yesterday but I got I got home from the morning which had been going to church and then going um, to ask for donations for a local food charity in front of a grocery store for a couple of hours along with all the kids from the 7th grade class that I'm working with at, at church and by the time I got home I was tired and I just wanted to lie down, and so I did. And, you know, the couple of other things, including planning this podcast that I wanted to do, I had to wait, because that was that was the thing. And I didn't, I didn't stress myself by saying, oh my God, I'm not getting these other things done while well, I'm lying down, because guess what? If I'm doing that, I'm not getting the rest that I'm lying down for. And if I'm not getting the rest that I'm lying down for, then that actually is going to increase my stress. So trying to put too much into the day, trying to put too much into the week, Is a primary stressor for me, and it's one that I have to really be on guard for. And I have to be able to say no to things. I have to be able to say, no, I can't do that, or no, I can't do it today, or no, I can't do it this week. And this week in particular is going to be very full. Two full days of meetings at work, have um, a work holiday party one evening, have um, a, a holiday worship event another evening, have a social event, another evening, and I think there's something going on at least one other evening this week, and wow, like that's a lot. And so, oh no, I, that's what happened, right? And something came up, and, and one of the one of the evenings that is, quote, free this week, uh, somebody asked me if I wanted to participate in an event, and, and I had to say no. I wanted to, but I had to say no, because I knew that there was just too much going on, and I would burn myself out. And I had to keep had to keep it a little simpler, not do too many things at once. And sometimes, you know, simplifying what we were trying to accomplish, sometimes I want to do something and I want to do it just perfectly. I want all the little flourishes, all the bells and whistles. But in fact, all I really need to do is the basic part of it. You know, think about, I don't know, I want to, I need to mow the lawn. Let's say I need to mow the lawn and I have an hour and that's about how long it takes me to just mow the lawn, push the mower around, get the the basic thing done. And I really want to go around and trim the edges and, you know, whack the weeds that are right up against the fence that I can't get to with the mower. And that's going to take me another half hour, or 45 minutes to do. And maybe I just don't have time to do it because there are other things that are equally important that I want to get done. And so I will do the basic mow the lawn so the grass doesn't get too tall and too weedy and too hard to see the dog poop. So we step in them and leave the, you know, the fine touches. Because they're less important than, than something else. And so simplifying each task may also be something. Think about this podcast. The last couple of episodes that I've done, I haven't had music. Because I found myself stressing about time. And said, I can do the podcast without music. It's okay. I, I enjoy finding the music. I enjoy talking about the music. But when it's too much, I can leave it out and I still have a podcast. In the last sentence in the book, in this section, we can relax and try to be more gentle with ourselves, trusting that by putting one foot in front of the other, we'll eventually get where we are going. And, you know, that reminds me of, also of the slogan, First Things First, that really, all I can do right now is take the next step. And maybe I look a little bit ahead so that I can be sure that I'm stepping in a good direction may not be exactly the right direction, but as long as it's a good direction, I will eventually get where I need to be. I will eventually get where I'm going. So be gentle. Take that one step and then another step. And as our slogan, Easy Does, it says, you will get there without the stress, without the complication, by keeping it simple. I want to close with the reminder and the quote from the Courage to Change reading from February 9th. The reminder says, If I am overwhelmed, I may be trying to do too much. Today I will try to keep it simple. The quote from Hans Hoffman, The ability to simplify means to eliminate the unnecessary so that the necessary may speak. The first song is a shaker hymn, Simple Gifts, and this I chose a performance on the, to put on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 181 by Allison Krausing, Yo Yo Ma. A little bit of lyrics from this, this hymn. Tis a gift to be simple. Tis a gift to be free. Tis a gift to come down where we ought to be. And when true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we shan't be ashamed. To turn, turn will be our delight. Till by turning, turning, We come round right. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And I tell you what, the last few weeks, seems like every meeting I go to, there's been at least one newcomer. And both of the meetings that I attend regularly do a first-step discussion at one of the tables, because that's the thing we do in Michigan. We, we break our meetings up into smaller tables, most of them, that may have different topics, and and you know, talk about the first step. Each, each meeting does it a little differently. One meeting reads step one from Paths to Recovery. The other meeting reads step one from How Al-Anon Works. And then typically people share a little bit of their experience, how they got here, and what Al-Anon has done for them, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now in 3 to 5 minutes welcoming the newcomer trying to to share a little bit about what the program is uh, and uh, and hopefully bring some some shared experience to uh, to the table to welcome um, and bring in the newcomer to our fellowship last night i walked into a meeting and one of the regulars at the meeting said i'm so glad you're here all these people are new and i think there were maybe 6 newcomers sitting at the table. And at that moment, at that point, I think there were three of us who, four of us who had been in the program for a while. So she was feeling kind of overwhelmed and, and, and a few more, a few more uh, people who've been, who've been members of al for a while came in and, and, you know, we had a good meeting and in fact, uh, um, well, we ran out of time. So, but there was a lot of good sharing and a lot of identification Um, of similar experiences around the table, Um, and a little bit of crying. What was interesting for me is that the sharing of some of the other people uh, struck a chord with me about a part of my life that I probably have talked about in a meeting before, but I don't know if I ever really connected it as strongly to the first step as I did last night. And that was about this this need that some of us have and I have to be in a relationship and i reflected that in 60 years i think i have actually lived by myself for a total of maybe 6 months that i always had somebody in my life and and when i met my current wife i was i was on a rebound from from my first wife leaving and i met her and i think it might have been as long as a week before i moved in with her and from from hearing the stories of friends in the program that seems to be a symptom of, of our codependency of our just latching on to, you know, latching on to this, this person that mm, we want to fix that somehow if we feel completes us, whatever it is, this, this need to have another person. So that was an interesting, an interesting opportunity to reflect on a part of my life that as it connects, it really does connect to why I'm here. Um, you know, my own qualifier, uh, I, in some sense i needed an alcoholic to get me here but it's me that keeps me here not the alcoholics around me and as i said this week is is going to be busy and i'm really going to be focusing on keeping it simple as i spend two days in in meetings with colleagues who are coming here we we have two offices uh, remote from each other and the team that i'm working on has members in both places and so we're all going to be in one place and have an opportunity to do some more planning to do some more visualizing of that that path through the fog and try to at least get some some better landmarks along that path in, in our planning and some more clarity about where we're starting from so yeah recovery works in all areas of my life when i let it so i actually had two two ideas about topics for for this episode of the of the recovery show and the other one came out of a step 4 meeting where we focused on the questions in blueprint for progress about how how am i either trustworthy or prone to gossip that was the dichotomy that set a question set up and so i thought it would be interesting to talk about how how we are or aren't trustworthy what does that mean um, and how does being in the in, in the 12-step recovery, being in, in the Al-Anon program, change our understanding of trustworthiness and perhaps lead us to being a m- more trustworthy person? So if you have thoughts about being trustworthy or not, the way you used to be, the way you are now, uh, please share them. Love to hear your voice. Love to have you in our discussion. Next week, um, I will be talking about anger with another member of Al-Anon. And so I know some of you have already sent in sharings about anger that, that I've included in, in the, uh, the feedback section of, of previous episodes. But if you have some thoughts about how anger has worked in your life, about how maybe recovery has relieved your anger to some extent, maybe how you're still carrying it, and that you can share experience, strength, and hope with us, please do go to the slash contact for all the information about different ways in which you can contribute to this show by leaving a voicemail, by sending an email, by recording your voice and sending it in, or by uh, participating in a conversation with me. So please, please share your, your thoughts, your experience, your strength, your hope about anger for next week's episode. And you can do that. You can call and leave us a voicemail. Seven three four seven zero seven eight seven nine five. We have a voicemail button on the website, which is also on the contact page, therecoveryshow.com dot com slash contact, as is our email address, feedback at show dot com, and the website, which I've maybe said enough times, therecoveryshow.com dot com has show notes for each episode. Just take the episode number, stick it on the end of therecoveryshow.com dot com slash, and you go right there. This one is therecoveryshow.com slash 181. And in those episodes, you can find the show notes for the episode, links to some of the things that we talk about, a link to the book uh, that I took the reading from earlier, have YouTube videos or other players for the music that we talk about. Speaking of music, I'll take a, a break before we look in the mailbag. And our second musical selection, also available on the website, is the song Simplicity by Bob Seger. And Starts out, simplicity, it works for me. It keeps me running hard and sharp and true. I focus on the basic stuff, and pretty soon I'm coming up on you. So much clutter clouds our way. Fundamentals win the day. And you know, and it goes on, and it's just like, yeah, this is what I've been talking about. So, thanks, Bob. A lot of email and voicemail this, today, this week. Maria writes, very briefly. Hi, Spencer. I stumbled upon the recovery show a few weeks ago and have listened to at least one podcast a day ever since. Thank you for all you do. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Maria, for your contribution. Ryan had a question. He said, I listened to your podcast, Gratitude, episode number 180. You mentioned you woke up early and wrote an A to Z gratitude list and liked to see it. Thanks, love, the podcast. And I I emailed back with a link to the blog post that I had made uh with my 2015 gratitude list, and I've also put a link in the episode at the dot slash one eighty, or it's you can go directly to it. It's the dot slash gratitude two zero one five. Aaron left us a voicemail.
1: Hey Spencer, this is Aaron from Los Angeles, and a couple of things. Just wanted to uh, reach out, and you know I, that I have a question about. I guess just introducing uh, on or maybe even another uh type of program to my wife. I am a uh, a sex addict and alcoholic and I've been going to 12 step meetings uh for both uh since I was discovered uh almost 2 years ago and the program the fellowship attempting to the best of my ability to live the steps in all my affairs has just flipped my world upside down for the better. If you would have told me two years ago that uh, the connection between my wife and I would even be stronger, I would have have probably ran and I thought you were crazier than I was. But that's exactly what has happened. However, um, during those two years, it has been holy hell hard for me just trying to continuously to dig, surrender, and grow spiritually so I could become a, a person who I want to become but as a byproduct of that, you know, I had had to kind of stick my tail between my legs when my wife would uh, react and respond in a very racial manner, which I get. I kind of put her in that realm. And it's getting better after two years and it doesn't come up all that often. But I do feel like there is so much growth that we can do together if she were to get in a uh, program like Al-Anon or Ethanon. Um, I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about how to – which is totally against the Al-Anon program. We have no control. I'm powerless over people, places, things. But, God, if there's one thing that I would love is for my wife to find that program because I do think she would uh, benefit if she were just open and willing. And I think I just answered my own question. So, anyway, if you have any thoughts on that, thank you so much for your uh, podcast. Even though I'm not a member of Al-Anon, I get so much – out of it. It's all the same to me. It's growing spiritually. <laughs> so thank you. Take
0: care. So that's always a tough one, Aaron. I have tried to convince various of my loved ones that Al Anon might help them. In fact that that came up in that came up in a meeting recently with somebody saying I I really think that this person would benefit so much from Al Anon and I don't know how to tell them. And I, and I think that's it, that we, we can't force somebody to come. I think the best that we can do is to exhibit the benefits of recovery in our own lives. And when, as does happen, when they notice, say, yes, this is this is what I get from going to my recovery program. This has helped me not only with the problem I went there for originally, but it has helped me be a better person. Um, and... You know, attraction rather than promotion. That's what the program says. And, and I really think that's what works. Say it once, say, wow, you know, I think, I think you'd be able to deal with me better. Uh, say it once and be gone. Don't nag. It's a hard one because we really want it. We want other people to have the benefits of, of what we've found and we want them to be easier to live with if there's somebody that's close to us. And uh, my experience just, I can't make somebody go. Diana sent email. Thank you from Reno. I discovered your podcast and I've been listening back to back to nearly every episode. My mother is a schizophrenic with bipolar. My sister a meth addict. And my father was a drug user with two stints in prison. I believed I had escaped the flames of that abusive past. I denied that it shaped any portion of my life. I am successful and no one knows on the outside the secrets of my childhood. My aha moment came because I had formed a dysfunctional relationship with my boss and lost my job of 17 years in addition to completely burning myself out. Suffering. The pain pushed me into treatment. I discovered I was severely codependent. I'd been filling up by fixing everyone. And I finally acknowledged the deep void within. It had impacted me and there were holes in my soul. Unexpressed emotional pain and neediness were driving my life. Four years later, it's not been easy, but this is a lifelong journey. Two things I've learned is that boundaries are critical, and also I've learned to not deny my feelings, even if it hurts people. I am not responsible for others. I must love myself, and my heart's not compatible with all types. Each day, I get more in touch with myself, and I'm learning self-love. My therapist recommended I stop making effort and see who comes back, making effort in my direction. That was a difficult and painful mirror-slash-moment for me, as I lost nearly every person close to me. I still grieve, mostly for what I'd hoped they'd be. I did parent replacement with my boss and pastors. I'm standing on my own now, a little wobbly. I feel lighter without the barnacles, but I still battle the neediness, the Superman complex, and I still feel the guilt which was put on me as a child to be my mother's keeper, the fixer. My main struggle lately is working through my feelings, which have been buried 20 years. There's a lot of anger, and accepting the reality of those traumas. Surrender and acceptance are huge. There are only a few Al-Anon meetings, and I work odd hours, so I appreciate your podcast. Any insight or words of wisdom are appreciated. Thanks, Diana and Reno. Um, I don't think I have anything to add, Diana. Um, that's, that's an amazing journey that you've been on, and that you're still on, and, and I honor you for it. Thanks for writing. Christy has a topic idea. She writes, Hi there. I'm a new listener, 29 years old, to your podcast and cannot even say how much it has already helped me. My mom is a non-practicing alcoholic who has been in AA as long as I've been alive, but really only started working a strong program in the last five years or so, and I grew up around a lot of chaos and anger and such. Because she didn't actually drink, I kept refusing that I needed any program or specifically Al-Anon, as my mom had suggested a bunch in the last few years. Alas... As we all know, that thinking was naive. Years later, when the beans have finally spilled, Alanon is providing me a healthy tool to start working through this stuff. But now, on to my specific question. My biggest problem is of obsessive thinking, control, and worry. I could write a dissertation on everything I worry about, and why I think I should, but hopefully in time I'll be able to write a dissertation on how important it is not to worry. Right now, though, specifically, a recurring paradox I'm having trouble rectifying is the following realizing how silly it is to worry about small petty things because there is a bigger picture and we don't need to think about and worry about these daily insignificant things that are somewhat irrelevant, but then having appreciation for the same stupid things. For example, when I realize how pointless it is to worry about small daily life stuff, I will say, look at an individual package of goldfish, a snack I sometimes guiltily enjoy, and get a feeling of like, empty sort of upsetness at this stupid effing little pretty pack of goldfish is this what we're living for f this goldfish package specific brain dialogue included so you can get a feel for what i'm saying (laughs) haha this is a constant juxtaposition for me that is kind of upsetting because it is nice to get joy out of the small things a can of diet coke in a small moment just enjoying a few goldfish but then how do we separate that from allowing ourselves to worry or get upset about these similarly small things I have struggled with this for a long time, but I've always just repressed it like everything else until recently. Any thoughts? Could you maybe address this in a podcast? Do you ever respond individually? I'm not sure as I'm quite new, but thank you for all that you do. Your podcast is an unbelievable lifesaver like I cannot tell you. Best, Christy. I'm going to point to um, a couple of episodes. If you go, go to the website, therecoveryshow.com and I'll, I'll try to put links to these episodes in the show notes for episode 181, also. But go click on the search link in the menu, and then type in worry. And I know there's at least one episode about worry, um, and also I think the the gratitude episode, um, the one that I just did, where we where I talked about you know finding some joy in in the small things and cultivating this attitude of gratitude, and I think. I think what I'm hearing here is about attitude, about the way in which you approach things. One definition of attitude, angle of approach. And by changing our angle of approach, we can we can find ourselves dealing with the little things in our life in a different way. So that's just a couple of ideas that that come into my head right now. Thanks, Christy. Lori sent us in a share that she recorded and then emailed um, about her experience in separating from her alcoholic loved one.
2: Hi, Spencer. It's Lori from Wisconsin. It's Thanksgiving Day, and I'm pulled over at a oasis on my way to Thanksgiving dinner with my family. I just heard the mean what you say episode and the request to share experience, strength, and hope around no longer being in a relationship with your alcoholic. And uh, I thought today was a fitting day to contribute because I'm headed to Thanksgiving on my own to meet up with my family of origin, but my two children are going to be celebrating Thanksgiving with my now ex-husband. And what makes this especially appropriate is that two years ago, I entered recovery with the goal of waiting a year to make any important changes or decisions and spent that year grieving the marriage that would never be we had been together for 20 years of marriage and four years prior to that. So it was a really sad year. It was a really hard year of trying to learn recovery, work on our marriage. We were in counseling, um, being compassionate about his situation, but also, um, an extremely loyal person. And he had been financially, um, done some financial infidelity that was very, um, destructive to our well-being and finally had a problem that I couldn't fix. And it was a year of being compassionate, but learning how to set boundaries and stick up for myself. And finally, um, after a year, a year ago today, actually, we had decided to share with the kids that we were getting a divorce and share with our family that we were divorcing and spent that holiday being thankful but also being very sad. So I'm reflecting back on a whole year's worth of hard work to actually get divorced and do that with integrity and compassion and learn to stick up for myself when I felt that I was being manipulated. And I'm so proud of myself that I was brave enough a year ago to make that very difficult decision to divorce my husband because a year later, I feel so good. I feel strong. I feel hopeful again. Um, I don't feel as lonely, even though I'm not in a relationship, I had a very lonely marriage, but I've never felt more loved by my friends and my family. I'm so proud of myself for making a really hard decision and seeing it through. So, I'm getting a little overwhelmed. It's not an easy path, it's not an easy choice. It is so hard to be compassionate, but I will say recovery has helped me. Just the other day, we had a very stressful situation and my ex now ex-husband was executing on a very familiar script and I I'm so thankful for the program because I could take a bird's-eye view at it, see what was happening, and make choices that are very different from what I ever would have done in the 20 years we were together. I could not be critical. I could withhold my opinions and basically shut it down. I didn't have to engage in kind of this old pattern where he doesn't really see how the dominoes that fall are a chain of events that he sets in motion. He just looks at the last domino and if he can put it on me, he never has to take responsibility for all the things that led up to that. And I was able to not be that last domino and just kind of say to him, I'm not doing this with you. We're not having this conversation. I have an opinion about how I think This particular stressful event came about, but I didn't pick up the rope and it felt really, really good. So I just guess I felt the need to share to express thanks for the program and all the people at my meeting that I um, work with. All my friends and family that have helped me get through this. I'm thankful that I had a program so that I actually have a pretty good relationship with my ex-husband because we do have two children together and I can be compassionate about his situation. He is pretty much a dry drunk, which I think made this all very complicated because it wasn't in all the years we were trying to figure this out. Um, it wasn't like he was actively drinking and I do have hope that someday he will get healthy again. And I'm just thankful that I can look back on this experience with integrity I think I'm such a better person for all of it. We have a saying in my family with my children that life is a zebra cone. I don't know if anybody's familiar. If I don't know if people call it this, but it's that chocolate and vanilla swirl soft-serve cone um, where we look at things and life is just a little bit of good and a little bit of bad. And I can honestly say I'm thankful for all of it. I would have never wished it upon myself. I never would have thought my life would have turned out this way to be 48 and really be starting over. But I'm so thankful for the opportunity to make this life my own and I'm excited for my future. So with that, I'll pass, I guess. Um, And I wish you all a very thankful, thanks. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for this recovery show and for you, Spencer, and for all the people that contribute their experience, strength and hope. I don't think I could have gotten to where I am today without it. So thank you.
0: And thank you, Lori, for sharing your own experience and the strength and the hope that you found in that you have found in that experience. And I hope that that speaks to somebody else out there who may be struggling with similar problem. Joanna wrote, Spencer, I'm so grateful to have found your work. I listened to today's show called thankfulness. I want to share that your show is a lifeline for me. Sometimes the idea of being alone during the day is very hard for me. Going on a walk and listening to your wisdom, strength, and hope is encouraging. I literally feel as though we have met together. My loneliness is replaced by comfort, love, and understanding. This feeling stays with me throughout the day. As you were speaking today about a literal shifting in our mood by how we choose to see in our situations, listening to your podcast gives me the feeling of being hugged. I am not alone. I am reminded that many of us are dealing with hard things. It is beautiful. Somehow this knowledge helps. I am thankful. I had this podcast to listen to today. I'm grateful for the other listeners that add their thoughts to your work. Many blessings to you and your family. Thank you so much for sharing your life and personal hardships with us, Spencer. I had tears in my eyes as I was walking and praying and listening to you share your painful moments in the most uplifting way. Thanking God that he is ever present in our lives as we go through these hard times. You are a blessing. Grateful listener from San Jose, California, Joanna. Thank you. I am I'm so grateful for... Those of you who listen and those of you who share what you found with with all of us. Thank you. Rachel says, Dear Spencer, I just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate the show and especially this week's episode on being thankful. I recently returned to Al-Anon after two years of white knuckling, my active alcoholic relationships, codependency, etc. This family disease had had such a tight grip on my life that I feel like I have to live and breathe Al-Anon every day just to keep my head above water. But as a new mom who works full-time, I'm lucky to make it to a meeting once a week. This podcast has helped me so much between those meetings. I listen to it during my commutes or when my baby is taking a nap, and I feel like I have another virtual home group to lean on whenever I need it. I'm sure there are some weeks when it must feel like a chore for you, but please know I'm very grateful for your service to the Alanon family, as I know many others are as well. This week's episode on being thankful was insightful for me. You know when you're in a class and the teacher has said something over and over, and then one day they say it another way and you have that aha moment? This is how I felt when you talked about active gratitude. I must have read that passage in How Alanon Works at least a dozen times. How many times have I heard, or heard the addicts in my life say, you always do some negative thing, and I, they respond, but what about all those times I don't do that, or do all these positive things? I grew up thinking mistakes were failures, and this led to an obsession with perfection both in myself and others. It even became part of my career for a while, editor. Even though I practice gratitude in other ways, this episode helped me realize that I can do more. A huge part of my recovery is letting go of finding the mistakes and shortcomings of my day and opening my eyes to every time my expectations are met, to the abundant blessings in my life that I take for granted. As I sat with my family for our Thanksgiving meal, for once I didn't fret about the past or future, but appreciated the present. Ah, what a precious gift. Thanks again, and I hope you had a lovely holiday. Gratefully, Rachel H. And, and thank you, Rachel. Uh, glad you heard me. I'm glad I heard myself. Steph left a review on iTunes saying, it's great to finally hear more about Alanon tools and solution in a podcast. Thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. It's been very uplifting and encouraging to listen to. Thank you, Steph. And thanks to everybody who has left a review or a rating in iTunes because the iTunes reviews and ratings do help it make us easier to find by those who are seeking recovery. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Lucy, Michelle, and Maria did. And thank you again, Lucy, Michelle, and Maria, for your contributions. We've put together a list of recovery-related books, click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing ex- extra and helps to keep us on the air. So if you're doing your Christmas shopping on Amazon, consider going to therecoveryshow.com. Click on the Donate by Shopping link and then do your shopping and, and it will help us. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends Direct them to therecoveryshow.com or just listening to us. We are here for you. And the last song selection for this topic is Simple Life by Leonard Skinner. And again, you can listen to it at therecoveryshow.com slash 181. This song just kind of lays out this notion that so many of us are so busy with things, with work, with whatever, that we don't take time for the, the simple things. And some lyrics here. Hey, When is the last time you sat down and had dinner with your kids, talked about what's going on in their lives? Hey, when is the last time you just stopped and helped somebody out? I bet you can't remember. I like the simple life, the way it used to be. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. Understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time.